Welcome to the Parents Place podcast with Hillary and Jen. Welcome to the Parents Place podcast. Uh, thank you all for being here. Thank you for our listeners. Um, for those that are new listeners and for those that are existing listeners, we appreciate you always being here and spending this time with us. We have a special guest with us today that I am particularly excited to learn from. So we have Tim Klein with us. And Tim, um, I'd love just to turn the time over to you and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and where you're joining us from. Great. Yeah. My name's Tim. Um, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, I'm a clinical social worker by trade, and I've spent the majority of my career in youth development. So I started my career after social work school. I was the outreach director for a national youth development nonprofit working with low-income first-gen high school students to get them to and through college. Um, From there, I shifted to being a school counselor at a large urban high school right outside uh, Boston, Massachusetts. So I was doing college counseling, um, school counseling, that sort of thing. And now um, I do research at Boston College along with my my collaborator, Dr. Bell Liang, around uh, how to navigate college, career, and life. And we wrote a book called How to Navigate Life, where we talk about the current challenges we see young people facing today and how and then we show how our research on purpose and belonging can be leveraged to help people uh, navigate, make decisions in high school, college, work, and beyond. Oh my goodness. Okay, we have quite a bit we want to talk about just with that summary. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. This is exciting. Um, so first and foremost, we need to advocate on behalf of your book. Where does one go about um, purchasing that or, or listening to that? Oh, well, I appreciate that. I think anywhere you can buy books, Amazon, Porchlight, Booksmith, your local bookstore. It's called How to Navigate Life, The New Science of Finding Your Way in School, Work, and Life. And uh, yeah, it was it was published by Macmillan, so you should be able to find it anywhere. Okay, perfect. And we will make sure we include, um, when we include information in our show notes, we will include the title of that book for our listeners so that they can make sure that they have access to that. Because I am sure after our conversation, they will want to know want to know a little bit more. <laughs> um, Tim, having a, 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 well, 14, so I often refer to him as a preteen, but I guess that's technically in the teen stage. Having a teen myself, and he is my oldest, um, it has been an interesting experience watching him maneuver what is middle school where we're at right now and and having him try to find his place, like you said, and to decide what he likes and what he doesn't like. And, and it's interesting to see him being swayed by different groups and different um social media and media access out there. And so I can see this being a topic that is something that all youth need to hear it and parents of youth as well, too. Um, So can we start with this? You mentioned maneuvering the challenges of life. What are some of the challenges that our current teens are facing? Yeah, and we'll just take it, you know, like where you are at to make it as experienced near as possible. I think you know, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I have two boys. And throughout elementary school, I do research on purpose. 
Uh, young kids are innately purposeful. They're intrinsically motivated. They're curious about the world. You go throughout elementary school and they are just intrinsically curious about what's about them and they just want to learn for the sake of learning. And then we found in our research right around middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, a curious thing begins to happen. They're, they're, this switch turns on and they start feeling this pressure of I am playing for keeps. My grades matter. My extracurriculars matter. So like what I am doing today, there is a ton more pressure and responsibility because I need to be executing at the highest possible level so that I can get into accelerated geometry, so I can get into accelerated AP calculus. So there's this shift to what we call a performance mindset at that age where that pressure and that stress makes school feel much, much more a high stakes game. And at the same time, so they know that they need to be successful at this point. They know what they're doing now is going to have implications about what they want to do in the future. And then they're going to start having these conversations. What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, like, where are you going? What do you want to do? And it used to be, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be an NBA player. I want to be whatever. Now it's, I want to be a YouTuber, right? Or, or <laughs> a, I want to be a streamer. And so our big thing is we put all this pressure on young people to not only work hard today, but have a clear vision of what they wanna do in the future and be working towards it. The only problem is we never taught anybody how to decide what to do with their lives. How do you make these big decisions? And we, so the main argument we have is that we haven't given students enough slack and leeway and space to ask these bigger questions about what is this all about? What type of person do I wanna be? What impact do I want to make? We kind of usher them into these very specific achievement tracks that we think everyone should be pursuing. You know, you bring up that scenario and I'm just thinking so so in our in our school system here, in our local school system, um, the students, the middle school students sit down with the counselor and they go through basically exactly what you have just described there. They sit down with the school counselor and they talk about academically what they are working on and what they need to be working on in the near future. And I remember sitting down with my seventh grader and having the counselor ask my seventh grader, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up and what school are you going to go to? What college are you, go, are you going to go to and how are you going to pay for that? And I remember my seventh grader looking at me like deer in the headlights look thinking, well, hopefully that will come from you, mom, right? And, and you know, I... Uh, one side of me thinks I am so grateful that they are better preparing our students for the future. And academically, they are much smarter than I think we were growing up. Yeah. I look at what my eighth grader is learning now, and that was probably what I was learning in 12th grade, even college. But I yep. do, I see that pressure of, okay, 13-year-old, you should know the course of your life at this point, when they have zero idea of what that what that includes, like you said, what that entails. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do, I both love and I hate <laughs> the, the scenario we put them through, this this well, um, performance mindset that they have. Yeah, and in, in that conversation, that school count, and this is not the school counselor's fault, this is the system that they were in, but yes. there is this implicit assumption that the purpose of high school is to, is all college preparation. 
Like there, we have just decided as a society that the purpose of getting the best grades that you can is to try to get into the college that is most likely to reject you. Right. And so this is a shift that has happened where everything we do is all around college preparation. And so and we we haven't. And so we put all this pressure on your kid needs to get into, like I said, the most highly rejected school. He wants to go to the college that is most likely to not get him into it. And because we think the harder a school it is to get into, the better that school must be, the better I will be. And so we haven't. We've gone so far down this path, and you are right, Hillary. If you look at any statistic today, students are getting better grades, taking more AP classes, getting higher standardized test scores, applying to more colleges, getting into more colleges than ever before. So quantitatively, this is the most successful generation of academic performance machines we've ever, we've ever created. There's only one problem. When they get to a place like Boston College, where I am, they're absolutely flaming out. You know, mm -hmm. 51 51 percent of college graduates regret the college they went to, the major that they chose, or the career mm -hmm. that they went into. 75 percent of college graduates, to say nothing else of the 50 percent who don't graduate, 75 percent don't feel that their college experience is relevant to their life or to the work that they are doing. You know, so there are these statistics where even though they're working so hard, students are struggling more than ever before. And it's because of what I would argue is we have not answered the question, okay, if we, what is the purpose of college? Why mm -hmm. do we want you to go to college? What we've never given people the opportunity to define what success is for them. And mm -hmm. so in lieu of that, we assume that success is winning. It's being at the top of the pyramid. It's beating out your peers. It's having the best grades. And what we're finding now is that the performance mindset, which we've studied in, in the Purpose Lab at BC, you know, when you view life as a never ending sprint, because it's a gate because the purpose of life is to win by beating out everyone. It's not a question of if you're going to burn out. It's a question of when you're going to burn out. And so our whole thing is like we need to take a step back and we need to having these larger picture questions about what is the purpose of high school? What is the purpose of college? What is our individual sense of purpose? And then how do we design for that? Yeah, I have a 17 year old um, stepdaughter and she, so she graduates this May and has decided that she wants to go to college. And we asked her, do you have an idea? We fall in that trap of what do you want to do? And her response was, I went on the internet and found out how much money I could find for something that I like to do. Hmm. And so she's decided she wants to be a radiology tech. She's like, I'm interested in that. I like science and I can make good money here. And that is her reasoning for picking the career she wants is because she wants to make sure she has money. But um, her high school years have been so stressful on her. And she is. I don't I, I, I just can't fathom how she does it. She's like, I'm going to be graduating with my associates. I've done all of these AP classes. I'm getting A's and everything. And I'm just like, how do you deal with that stress? Because I grew up and I went to the school, uh, high school in the 80s. And so we didn't have all of this other stuff floating around to distract us. And I, I wasn't even that motivated. But I just, 
feel bad for her mental health and if she's seriously okay in that department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I feel for her, honestly. And it's because, you know, she is in this world where with the internet, with all this information, with TikTok, with everything, we have created this society in which we are telling young people that um, the path to success is a path, it's linear. You need to like come up with a five-year plan right now and then you need to map out your stepping stones and do that. And and like, it makes sense, like in your head, you're like, yeah, of course, like figure out what you wanna do. I wanna go be a nurse. I wanna go be an accountant. I, like I'm gonna go be this very financial stability job that's there. And then I'm just gonna follow these steps to get there. It's like this idea of pathways, right? The only problem with that is like none of us follow those plans. You know, like when we were younger, when we were in high school and college, you went to college. Nowadays, young people think that they have to go to college knowing exactly what they want mm -hmm. to study. When we went to college, it was like, I have no idea. This is a rite of passage where I'm going to explore. I'm going to take detours. I'm just going to kind of live and, th and then like experience, see what it has to offer. And then I'm going to see what emerges from there. And young people today, for a variety of reasons, feel like they that is a privilege that they do not have. Mm -hmm. And and the problem, and so they, they are on this pathway mindset where it's like this linear path. You know, she has to go be a, a radio technician. She has to go get certified. And so she's like, I have one path I need to follow. And the problem is the farther along she gets on that path, what if it's not what she thought it was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. What if it's very different from it? What if technology comes in and dramatically changes the mm -hmm. nature of that role? But if, if our students only have one path, as soon as you take one step off that path, what are you? You're lost, you're falling mm -hmm. behind, you know? And so, and so like the more they feel like there's one path, and typically it's nursing. That's what we're seeing a ton is like, mm. especially young women, it's like nursing. I wanna go into nursing because it's financially stable. I know I can get a job, I can see that path, but just they feel like they have to commit to something now and then they don't have any agency in the future to step off that path. So it's under, and it's like, not only do they have to love what they're doing, but they have to be incredibly good at it at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, I see that in our, in our um, high schools up here as well, too. And I mean, and Jen, I think the situation that your stepdaughter is in is very similar to what a lot of our youth are, is that they do have the luxury of taking some of these college prep classes in high school. So I do think most high school students are graduating already with, you know, entering college as a, for most of them, I would assume a sophomore. By the time mm -hmm. you're a sophomore, usually you need to make that decision as to what classes. We're totally bypassing that freshman year of college, which is when you yeah. take all of your general courses where you get to experience subjects that you wouldn't have otherwise experienced. They don't have that anymore because that mm -hmm. has already been crossed off the list through their high school yeah. experience. And it is. It's And the tricky thing is, I think that we're, I think teachers, I think the system, I think you know, those individuals um, overseeing this are seeing this as a benefit because we're helping kids save a lot of money by taking mm -hmm. away, you know, a year of college that they would have had to otherwise pay for. But you're right. It's forcing them to walk into that experience already have made that choice. Yeah. And not having that opportunity to take those elective courses, which oftentimes helps us to open up 
doors that we wouldn't have otherwise thought to open up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and on that point, um, you are right. Like we are in the zone of how can we pack as many college credits in for as cheap as possible, as fast as possible. And what you are highlighting is another major issue that we have in higher education, where we fundamentally misunderstand the true value of higher education. We, We live in a world today where people think that the value of higher education is being able to say, I went to Boston College. Being Mm -hmm. able to put Boston College as a bullet point on my resume or in my LinkedIn profile. And this is what we call brand capital, because what we think is like, oh, if we are associated with Boston College, people are going to assume that I have a certain motivation, work ethic, strengths, and ability. And because of that assumption, they are more likely to hire me for a job, right? And so that does exist, like me saying, you know, I was a teaching fellow at Harvard. I graduated from University of Chicago. Like you are assuming things about me because of that association. But the value of that is wildly misrepresented. And we've actually found in our research that there are two other much more important things in higher education that lead to thriving in your life after. And one of those is formative experiences. So hands, so hands-on experiences, having a work-study job, working on a group project, community service, like getting involved and doing active things, that is correlated. Those experiences are correlated with mental health once you graduate from college. It's correlated with students feeling like they are prepared for the mental demands of the workforce. And it's correlated with having perp- finding your future career purposeful. So one, it's, it's these formative, it's hands-on experiences where you're doing things and you're interacting with the world. And the other one is meaningful relationships, you know, mm-hmm. meeting, meeting peers, mentors, faculty members, meeting people who are who are serving as mentors, who are expanding your knowledge of what the world is, who are changing the way you think about things. Again, same research says that, um, you know, if you have three to four friends at the end, if you have three friends at the end of your freshman year of college, you're three times more likely to say that college was worth the experience, was worth mm. the price of admissions. And so we know that in people and experiences drive the value of higher education, but we don't tell this. And so basically at the end of the day, it's if you go out and meet interesting people in college and do interesting things, that is going to maximize your likelihood of finding something that you like is purposeful. And the reason that is, it's because when we go out and do interesting things, and meet interesting people, it causes us to think about our lives and the world that we live in. And at the end of the day, we could get into all of the academic jargon about what purpose is, but I'll just tell you, so purpose is living a life that's personally meaningful, where you feel like you're contributing to the world beyond the self. And And it's correlated with every happiness, success, any outcome or indicator it's correlated with. And so people are always asking us, How do you cultivate purpose? How do I get, how do I find it for my students? And really the answer is the more you intentionally think about your life, the more likely you are to find purpose in it. And so it's those experiences in college that lead to that sense of purpose. But we live in this world where students are trying to get through college as fast as possible, just so they can say they graduated, so they can move on to the next thing. And they're missing all of those formative experiences.
Isn't it amazing that the answer to the question of life and most things in life is all about connection and all about relation. Like that's just, Mm -hmm. it's such a fantastic reminder for us that really it all comes back to those people around us. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Okay. But but it's hard, but just on that, it's it's hard to have faith that if I just, if, if my students are interested in things and if they're going yeah. out and meeting interesting people and doing interesting things, having faith that they are going to land on their feet, even if I don't know exactly where they're headed, it's very hard to have faith that that is going to work out because of it feels like we're in a world today where you are either wildly successful or you are broke on the street. And so like <laughs> I'm you, you, and so like there is feeling all this pressure where there's no in between. You're either massively successful or you're a massive failure. And so that's what makes it hard for people to trust in the process here. Um, Anyways. I can see that. Um, Okay. We mentioned that it's not necessarily a school counselor problem nor a teacher problem or a parent problem. It's a system. And changing things in the system tends to be quite difficult. So what are initial steps that we need to take as when we have children in high school, in middle school, probably even in elementary school, like small things we can do and implement to build this, um, this sense of purpose and, you know, uh, experimentation phase that we want in our kids. How do we do that? Yeah. I mean, so one it's um, like, so one thing at a high level purpose is, you know, doing things in life that are personally meaningful, that feel like contribute to the world beyond the self. And so to do those things, you and your students have to know what is personally meaningful to them. You know, Mm -hmm. like, what do they like to do? Where do they feel like they are at their best? So one is just giving them opportunities. And in our book, we have these four elements of purpose. So we talk about these four elements make up purpose. And it's, using the strengths that make you your best self you know like for you to i won't put you on the spot here but it's like when i go through this i want you to ask yourself in my role and what i do do i feel like i can show up as my best self and use the strengths that make me my best self that's one and so anytime we're using the character strengths that make us our best selves by the way people could go take the via character strength survey if they want to take a survey to understand their strengths but one Anything, when we get to use our our character strengths, it's personally meaningful, you know? And so, and then the other part is like developing skills that make us our best selves. So anytime we're showing up as our best selves and also growing and gaining skills we're motivated to learn, that's what's personally meaningful in life. And so part of it is we need to give students the space to understand and articulate what their strengths and skills in the world are. And then the second part of this is making a positive impact in the world. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to sacrifice your material well-being to like solve cancer or climate change. People oftentimes when they hear purpose, they think like, oh, I have to be solving the biggest problems. No, like we we've actually found in our research that if you have a job at Dunkin' Donuts, which, you know, I'm from the East Coast, so we make it. But like, if you think your job at Dunkin' Donuts, you're using a part of that paycheck to help your parents pay the bills, and that's helping your parents. If you genuinely think that's contributing to your parents, 
that's a sense of purpose that's helping beyond the self. So we have to get people, students thinking about like what needs in the world do they care about? What problems are they seeing that feel like it affects them? What problems are other people going through? And like what positive impact, how do they wanna be meeting needs in the world that's personally meaningful to them? And, and then the final piece is doing all that in a way with their core values, right? So it's just like understanding what do they value most? What's most important to them? What do they wanna stand for? So at the end of the day, you know, if you want to like go deep and read the book, it's like purpose is using your strengths and skills to make a positive impact that aligns with your core values. And the hard work there is identifying those things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm just thinking of myself and I figured all of that out later in life because <laughs> I didn't go mm -hmm. to school until I was in my late 20s to college. And went in there thinking I was had one purpose. This is what I was going to be. I was going to be a history teacher. And um, that was it. But I'm grateful that I did do that little search of what do I like? What do I want to do? Because I feel like that what I'm doing now is where my strengths are. And there is a purpose within my life. And I feel like I'm doing a better um I'm giving better to my community, to my family, and all of that kind of stuff. And so it, my brother, had he works in Sacramento, and he makes a lot of money. And he's like, Jen, you're a social worker. You don't make much money. He's <laughs> like, you really need to find a job where you make more money. And I said, nope, this is where I want to be. This is my purpose. And um, so it, it is such a great thing if kids can find that peace, that strength, that reason for for doing good, no matter what the job may be. Was there a moment, if you don't mind me asking, like, when did you know, can you remember a moment when you realized that history was not the direction for you and that you wanted to shift? It was my first exam. <laughs> and it was, I love watching history on television. I hate having to memorize dates. And knowing when all of these things happened throughout time. But I was also taking a parenting class at the same time. And there was a individual that came in and did a presentation on the place where I work now. And I said, that, that's what I want to do. And that's the place what, I want to do it that? at. Wait, what, what was, when you say that, like, what was the thing that you were seeing? Helping parents be the best that they can be. Giving them tools for, you know, navigating this life of parenthood. And then it was the family place that they were talking about. And I'm and they're talking about all the things that they had done or they do. And I'm like, I, I want to do that. I want to be. I had a great childhood. I want to help other people have a great childhood. Yep. So a couple of things there. So one, just in this. Like one, you realize that the skill set, you go into history and then you realize the skill set needed there. And we have these three different buckets of skills. So one is called cognitive skills. Then there's interpersonal skills and intrapersonal skills. So you get into history and it's all cognitive skills, right? It's mm -hmm. memorization. It's all just about using your brain which some people love, you know, analytical thinking, innovation, creativity, but then you, had an experience and you got connected to someone to go back to like the value of higher ed and you saw, oh, 
interpersonal. Here's an opportunity to use interpersonal skills, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, this is like, I want to use skills around emotional intelligence, communication, collaboration, you know, and you realize, oh, those are the skills I want to be using in my career. So even you didn't have that language, but you saw like a skill alignment there. And then the final piece here. So that's what was personally meaningful to you. And then in the final piece, you were like, So when it comes to needs in the world, usually our desire to make a positive impact comes from adversity we've had to overcome ourselves, where I've gone through this challenge and like I know how hard it is and I wanna help other people going through the same thing, or it comes from advantages we have. I've had these advantages, I had these resources that made my life better, I am realizing there are people in this world who are benefiting from those advantages and I wanna pay it forward, so like, that is, you are embodying what purpose like work looks like on the ground, but you just did all of that reflection on your own, or maybe not on your own, but like without a purpose program. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, Tim, because Jen is uh, a, a much smarter, more mature person than than my son, <laughs> I, I I'm imagine, <laughs> I'm imagining asking my 14 year old these questions and I'm imagining him coming up with a response like I love basketball I'm really good at it I win every Fortnite competition I'm involved in and I want to make some money so that's my strength and skill and value in life is to become wealthy I mean I'm assuming these pre-teens and teens with their egocentric mind they, they come up with questions answers like that so so do I embrace that? Do I guide that in a different direction? How do I how do I uh, yeah, how do I yeah, expound yeah. on that conversation? <laughs> right, right. No, and so like one thing on on it on on the uh, purpose exploration level, he says I love basketball. Right. Uh-huh. Well, I'm curious. What is it that you love so much about basketball? Is it the competition? Does he love winning? You know, is it the teamwork aspect of it where he likes being part of a community bigger than himself? Does he feel like he gets to be the best version of himself when he steps on the basketball court? Is he using strengths there that he's not using in other places? So it's just getting curious, like what is it about basketball that you love so much, you know, because it it honestly might be where he's like, I love like coordinating a group of people together. You know, Mm -hmm. I love helping people to like communicate and we're all working together and to make sure everyone knows what their role is. And you're like, guess what? That's management (laughs) right there. Mm -hmm. You know, like that is a highly transferable skill set. And so it's just like, we have to know that there's purpose everywhere. And it's just getting curious about what is it that you like so much about it. But then like, even more concrete, um, there are three things that when we ask people to do, we know there are three things you can do to cultivate purpose. You ask people to envision the future, just to think about the future. You ask them to reflect on the past and you ask them to be intentional in the present. And so this is what we call purpose crafting. And so what you could do with your son around purpose crafting is like pick an area in his life that he's really invested in. He's about to go to a basketball camp, right? And you ask him, what do you hope happens at, what do you want to happen at basketball camp? Right there, that question, what do you want to happen? Right there, we are asking him to set an intention about 
envisioning the future of basketball camp and talking about what he wants to happen. And so, and getting like, you know, I want to learn how to do a left-handed layup. I want to learn better, whatever it is. And then you had like, what is the desired, like, if you have that intention, what's the desired outcome? What do you hope is the result of that? And I know that sounds so silly to do, but literally like people with a sense of purpose, they set intentions for the future. They envision the future. And then he's, and then the second part is like, okay, I want to go to basketball camp and I want to be able to dunk or whatever it is, right? Let's say he wants to be able to dunk. The second part is asking him, why is that important to you? Right? Why is it, and, and we are creating tools for this, but why is it personally meaningful for you to be able to dunk? And then the second part is, is how could that actually contribute to the world beyond the self? How could you knowing how to dunk help other people around you? And what we're doing with those questions is we are asking them questions to put a purposeful intention. We're asking them to identify purposeful motivation behind that intention. Because we know if he goes in, he says, I want to learn how to dunk. And you say, why? And he's just like, it's all materialism. It's all so he can flex on TikTok. We know that's a performance mindset. And that's not going to be enough motivation to overcome the big obstacles. So, so, and so the third, so like, what do you hope happens at basketball camp? Why is that important to you? And then the third one is acting in the moment. What can you do to make that happen? What can you intentionally plan to do to make that happen? And I know it sounds silly, but it's like you, if you can just be asking your students and helping them answer these three questions. So like they walk on, they walk, uh, you know, they they're going to go back from Thanksgiving break or whatever it is. You know, we have two weeks left in the in the in the school semester. What do you want to have happen? Why is that important to you? What can you do to make it happen? And we're finding this purpose crafting technique can really be used in one-on-one -on -one clinical work with social workers. Uh, you know, this is all motivational interviewing, what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so these are some tools. But again, do you think that would work with your son or would he still give you the biggest eye roll ever if you try to do no. those things? No, I, I'm actually thinking to myself, I am so excited for him to come home because I would love, like, I'm like thinking of those questions and I'm, I'm, I'm taking guesses as to what he would say, but I love that. I actually love that idea. And I can see him. So he is on a he is on a basketball team right now that I, I, I often refer to them as the team of misfits. They're not great, but he loves it. And so I can see in him that he would provide a response as a, I love being around my friends, or I love when we can work together, or I love when so-and-so makes a basket and we can all cheer for him. Like I'm seeing these responses in him and thinking, okay, now we can see a bigger picture here. So I actually, okay. yes, this approach is fantastic. And I'm glad you said that because there is what I'm talking about here. It's intention setting, not goal setting. Because yeah. if I was to say, like, what is your goal for the next game? Mm -hmm. Right. Like he'd be like, I want to score 14 points. It would have yeah. been all like very person. It would have been like a quantifiable metric that is outside of his control. And it would have been, you know, like focused on him. But if, what if you say, OK, next game's coming up. What do you want to have happen in mm -hmm. that game? He mm -hmm. would he'd probably be more. I want everyone to be working together. I want to be trying my best. He would start talking about process-oriented um, intentions that are much more in his control, right? Mm -hmm. And that that is the shift. The, the goal of basketball is not to beat the other team. 
Yeah. The goal of basketball is to show up as your best self and to like tap into why you're doing it. And so, yeah, I, I just really appreciate that example because when we talk about goals, that makes us very selfish. But when we talk about intentions, that can bring in and be much more purposeful. Mm. And I think we are a goal-oriented society and a goal-oriented educational system. So I love that. I love this. I, and not that goals are bad, but like you said, goals are primarily focused on me, myself, and I. And so I love that idea of of re-switching the mindset. So. Yeah, it's so it's so funny you bring that up because we are a goal obsessed uh, society, and <laughs> we are t- we are terrible at making goals. You know, we, like. <laughs> We don't have any good goal set. There are no, we don't have good tools to set meaningful goals for people. Like we we have smart goals and like smart mm-hmm. goals are really, really ubiquitous. They're everywhere. But like, I don't think most people even know what smart goal stands for. And like, you know, and that, and, and the thing, I love sp- smart goals too, because it's tangible, but what they, what the, what goal setting usually misses out is why are these goals important in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're missing in it. And so that's really what the work on purpose is all about. Is like it's the because of the goal. And basically, mm-hmm. if if people can take anything out here, so I did college counseling. So like I was getting students into the most rejective Ivy League colleges you could get into. And I realized in my research and my in my entire career that why you go to a college is much more predictive of success and happiness than the college you go to itself. Mm. Meaning if I take two students and they both say, I wanna go to Boston College. If I say, well, you wanna go to Boston College because, and the rationale, the story they tell about why going to Boston College is important to them, that is the driver about whether they're actually going to be successful and happy at Boston College. And I genuinely, Genuinely, if I have a student who's going to a community college, but they can give me a very purposeful because statement about why they're going, I and I will bet on them all day than mm. a super stressed out kid going to Dartmouth College who has no idea why they're going there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so, Tim, we, we're talking a lot about this path of, you know, uh, of high school to college, but I'm assuming we can find this purpose uh choosing not to go to college as well too does that look the same creating that path does that look the same if we decide on a trade school or even just finding an an occupation outside of higher education yeah it does i mean so it, it's really like you you when evaluating any post-secondary decision you do want to look for this combination of what we call brand capital which is the name brand recognition um what we call uh community capital which that could be called social cap, but like the people involved and then and then the human capital. So it's basically like if I want to go to a trade program, it's like, what are the skills I'm going to be learning at that program and how valuable are those skills? What is the community like? Like, is this an area where I'm going to be meeting peers and I'm going to be meeting mentors who's really going to engage with me? And then is there brand capital there? You know, like, is there any sort of positive association with going to that place? And I would really focus on the social capital or the community capital and the human capital more than the brand capital. Um, There's no issue. I do a ton of work with CTE programs and vocational programs. Um, The issue sometimes is that 
you don't want to go to a place that's only teaching you technical skills without mm. the more what we call universal human skills. So remember I talked about cognitive skills, intrapersonal skills, you know, those are what we call universal human skills because they're universally valued. They're in demand. Like the skills that make us universally human, those skills are really, really valuable. Typically you learn those in a liberal college setting, um, but you can learn them anywhere. And so if you're going to a trade school, you want to make sure that they're not just going in there and it's a boot camp where they're teaching you a technical skill set and that's all you're getting because we are living in a world right now where technology is developing so fast that technical skill sets become obsolete more like usually now it's around three years if you learn a technical skill meaning a specific skill for a specific domain or technology that skill set typically will last three years before technology disrupts how mm. that is working. And so like, you know, you're not to scare your your stepdaughter who wants, what did you say she wanted to be a like? A radiology tech. Radiology tech. So what people want to be looking for is how much of that job is routinized, grounded in a pattern, repeatable over time, right? So the thing about social work is that almost none of what you do is repeatable, right? Because like every person is different. And so because of that though, because it's not routinized at all, it can't be automated. But if there are parts of that job that can be automated, that is repeatable, that is routinized, AI is gonna come and create mm -hmm. an automation to do that. But so like, so if it's the tech part, that's, but if she loves engaging with people, you know, being really creative and solving problems and, and providing information for people to help it, like focusing on that, not necessarily just radiation technologists to do that, is going to be a lot better. And because we're actually seeing that, like, we're coming out of this phase of like, oh, go into STEM because that's where all the career stability is, you know? And actually what we're finding is that that's the most disrupted uh, industry you can go into because usually it used to be like, oh, go learn to code and go do a coding boot camp, mm -hmm. and then you're gonna be super valuable. Now with ChatGPT and OpenAI, that specific technical skill set is not as in demand as it once was. So you, you just wanna be looking for a balance of technical skills, human skills, relationships. Um, so, okay, for parents, for our listeners out there that are thinking to themselves, I need a mini Tim in my pocket so that he can guide me through this conversation with my child, right? <laughs> because I may not be able to do this on my own. Um, what are some like practical, easy, applicable steps that parents can take with their kids today that are going to help in this process? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think one is having the conviction that like, if your student brings them their best self to whatever they do, mm -hmm. that that is going to be where they're most successful, mm -hmm. right? So what I mean by that, it's like, if, you know, we have a Jennifer over here who is at her best as a social worker, that is going to lead to a better outcome than Jennifer being miserable as an accountant or whatever. And I'm not here, I'm not saying there's plenty of purposeful accountants. I'm not saying you can't, but you know what I mean? So it's like, one, it's having the conviction that where my student can show up as their best self is where they're going to be most successful. And so to do that, it's 
taking the pressure off yourself to try to be keeping up with the Joneses and competing with everybody else. I think I think parents have this deep-seated fear that if they don't push their students to do everything and if they don't helicopter their way to get every single every single opportunity for them, they're going to inadvertently undermine their students' ability to be successful, right? And so one, it's having conviction in your students that the best version of themselves is going to be where they're most successful. And if you can believe that, then you just need to start delighting in your student. So it's like take becoming aware, like what are the best parts of them? Instead of trying to fit them into this square box, it is like, what makes that, what do you uniquely delight in? What is something about them that you love about them? And then it's fanning those flames. It's like validating in it. And then it's looking for opportunities where your student can continue doing those things. And honestly, if you can start doing it, it's a way more fun way of parenting because mm -hmm. like you can meet your kids where they're at. You can be fully on their team and then you don't feel like they, they have to continuously be meeting these expectations that are impossible to me. And I'll just like, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. So they're like, okay, dude, wait till you have a 15, 16-year-old to do it. But like, <laughs> I, I genuinely don't care about my kids' grades at all. <laughs> I just care about them like being socially well adapted and balanced. And, and 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 it's allowed me to like I'm not looking for a skill set that I can then project onto engineer. Oh, like, oh, he's great at Legos, he's gonna be an engineer. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just not doing that. And it just makes it I can be so much more present in my parenting. Because I just know that if I delight in my kids and if I know if I can help them become their best selves, that is going to work out, even if I have no idea what working it out actually looks like. I'm just thinking, you know, starting that young, not only are you flaming those for your kids and encouraging them to do um, what they're strong in and creating those good social networks and things like that. But it's also creating practice for you for when you do have that 15 year old. And I think that's something that we forget about is if we're like, oh, I'll just I'll just learn how to do that when my kid is a teenager. But if you're practicing all these things when they're young, it's going to be so much easier when they're older. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to that point, remember, we started this conversation where. Kids in elementary school are innately purposeful. They're mm -hmm. looking to use their strengths. They're looking to grow skills. They innately want to be helping people and doing away with the lines of their values. So it's really, you know, it's protecting them mm -hmm. from, the from the performance mindset that is going to start creeping in in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You know, it's really protecting themselves against that pressure and being like, I know you have what it takes. And I know that if you just like, you know, figure out who you want to be and what you want to stand for. I know, like, if you can, like, really be, find who that is, you are going to be successful and happy. And so then it's like, it's really protecting them against all that other noise. That's a domino effect. You do all of these great things on their strengths and all of that and their intention of learning and loving doing fun things. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be a dom domino effect throughout their life because they know how to do that part of yep. problem solving, meeting people, all of that good social oh. emotional skills. Yeah. And I'll leave you with one last thing that parents can actually do right now. Cause like a lot of the times parents, they 
are really pushing their students to get into college for the right reasons. They want financial stability. They want them to not have to deal with all the issues that they did. But that intention gets lost in translation. Like students aren't aware about why you are pushing them so hard, why you are always on them about their grades. And so they interpret it as you don't believe in me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you are a parent listening to this and you should do the same thing we asked before. So if, if it's college application season, what do you want to have happen as a result of college applications or your students going to college? What do you want to have happen when they go to college? Why do you want that to happen? And then what can you do to make it happen? But if you can start getting clear on your definition, on your intentions and definition of success, understanding your own motivation for it, you can start sharing that with your students. Here's what I want to have happen. You know, and Hillary, I would say like with the, you could do it with like, okay, what is your intention for this next game? Like, what do you want to have happen during that basketball game? Why do you want it to happen? And like, what are you going to do or what can we do? And that is actually modeling this type of thinking that we're talking about. Um, and so that honestly is often the best way to cultivate purpose is by modeling it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, I, my mind is just racing. I love this and I love this feeling of new knowledge. Tim, it's been amazing. This was I, super fun. You were great. Sorry. Go ahead, Jennifer. No, I was just going to say thank you as well. Yeah, this was super fun. You two are very, very good at this about creating space. I can tell you two have worked together for a long time because there was like zero, zero interrupting each other or anything like this. And, and so I appreciate the time. And so, um, yeah, more soon. You know, it's funny how you said, like, is there a little Tim you can be in your pocket? I'm, we're working on AI chatbots that will help people take go through this process using mm -hmm. what we call reflective intelligence. And so more on that soon. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate taking the time to come on here. Thank you so much. I am so glad that I we asked you and that I got to see you in the Resilience Conference. Um, I just, I've taken notes for myself and I probably could listen to you a lot longer. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming and teaching us. Um, I hope that our listeners have been able to there's a lot that they, we can take from this. So hopefully you're you're able to take some great information from this. We want to thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week. And we want to rem remind you to be kind and patient with yourself. Thank you for listening to the Parents Place podcast. If you would like to reach us, you can at parents at thefamilyplaceutah.org or you can reach Jen on Facebook, Jen Daily dash the family place. Please check out our show notes for any additional information. Our website is thefamilyplaceutah.org if you're interested in any of our upcoming virtual classes. We'd love to see you there.